1: What's up, everybody? It's Nick again. I am joined by Ryan. Amanda, unfortunately, made me out to be a liar after I promised you guys last episode that we would all be back together. Amanda had job stuff to do. Very inconsiderate of her, but Ryan and I are here. We're going to talk about the Nats. Uh, Not the best week uh, for the Nats hopes, but hey, we're still in a playoff spot, so that's that's what matters. Um but before we get started, make sure you guys follow the pod on Twitter at Half Straight High Heat. Follow Ryan and myself at DC Nantrack and follow Amanda at White 7877 Um we're all pretty interactive. Uh if you guys are easily offended, you probably shouldn't follow at DC Nantrack, but otherwise. Uh yeah. Um Ryan, how you doing, bud?
2: Doing well, man. I uh, watched seven hours of football today, life is great. Football yeah. is back. This is a baseball podcast, so we're starting to talk off about football.
1: <laughs> I mean, everyone's got to be on the same page. But most exactly. of, I assume most of our fans of the podcast are Redskins fans, so maybe they don't want to talk about football.
2: <laughs>
1: All That's right.
2: okay, because uh, I'm going to talk yeah. about the NL
1: Yeah, we should. So uh, give us uh, all the happenings of the last week.
2: Yes, and September baseball is in full swing, and things are more exciting than they have ever been. The Marlins are officially eliminated from playoff contention. They are the first and only NL team that has been eliminated so far. Damn, they they were my dark horse. Dude, honestly, after the first two games of the year, I was pretty bold saying they weren't going to make the playoffs. I'm very happy this fell through like that. They are 51 and 91. The Met's dream of making the wild cards was kept alive by the Washington Nationals inability to ever win a big game. They took 2-3 from the Nats and were an epic meltdown away from a sweep. They split the four-game series with the Phillies. The legend of Pete Alonzo dad-bod Hero continues to grow as he hits the walk sorry, hit a walk-off walk against the horrible, horrible Phillies bullpen. The Mets are currently four games out from the second wildcard spot. They have three teams ahead of them. They're all but dead, and they are 72 and 70. Their wildcard elimination number is 15. The Phillies began the first of 20 straight games against teams above 500. Their remaining schedule has a combined winning percentage of 537. In case anyone at home is wondering, the equivalent of playing a 91 team every single night for 24 straight games. Uh, they start off pretty poor. They split the four-game series against the Mets. They are currently two games back from the second wild card spot, though, because the Cubs cannot beat the Brewers. Um, they have a four-game series against the Braves, which they may be without number 34, who took a fastball off the hand the other night. Um, they are 74 and 60 eight the nationals Oh, the nationals there in september is one of the hottest teams in baseball all they had to do was go at least 500 to basically lock up a wild card spot because going 14 of 14 uh that requires everyone to win 19 games um the cubs had to win 19 games everyone else had to win 20 or more so games. actually knocked the Nats off a wild card spot but you know how the Nats go um they dropped 2-3 against the Mets, and they dropped 3-4 against the Braves. Things got a little bit better today, though, with the Cubs and Diamondbacks losing. Their lead in the wild card is down to three games over the Cubs, and they have a 4.5 game lead over the Diamondbacks. Um, but the thing that is very concerning is the Nationals have a 36-43 and 43 record against teams with a record above 500. That is the worst amongst the all teams currently in the playoff spots. Luckily, their next nine games are against such teams. They are 79-63. The Braves are in the National Series, winning six straight. They've won multiple series in a row, and they're basically the hottest team in baseball. They continue that. Uh, they took the first three games, and they dropped a fourth today, and they face Max Scherzer for the first time all year long. They have commanding nine-game lead in the NL East. Their magic number to clinch a playoff spot is six. Their magic number, the clinched NL East, is 11. And they're only three games behind the Dodgers for the top seed in the NL playoffs. They are 89-55. and 55, And that is where all the teams stand after the first full week in September.
1: Yeah, dude. I mean, getting one game from the Braves today with Scherzer on the mound, uh, obviously you'll take that over a sweep. And Scherzer looked good today. Look like old Max, and um, it's nice that we got to Soroka too, because that's, uh, for all intents and purposes the brace the Braves ace, um. So that was good, but dude, our offense has been terrible, and like we've lost the first three games of the series like one run, two runs, but it was like four zero five zero up until like the eighth or ninth inning, and then like Zim hit a bomb and Rebozo hit a bomb, so it like made it cl- look closer than it really was, but. For someone who didn't just look at the box score, or not even the box, score, just look at the score, like anyone else who looked at the box score or watched the game, they realized it wasn't really a game. Like, the Nats were never really in it. And, that, I mean, that's just not good. They just struggle so heavily against teams above 500. And, shocker, I mean, breaking news, you play teams above 500 in the playoffs.
2: And they're playing a lot of them this month. I mean, we said in the pod, baseball always evens out and everything is going to come back to the norm. You mean the Nats were going to continue their hot playoff streak, but it's the most national thing of all time that's now happening in September when they're basically fighting for their lives. And if the Cubs and Diamondbacks won, ooh, Nats would have had a one-game lead over the Cubs and a two-two and two-and-a-half-game lead over the Diamondbacks. So thank God yeah. they won today. That kind of gave them some breathing room a little bit. Because otherwise, it would have been pretty bad.
1: Yeah, like, we're not – say like, in some people's minds, I'm sure it's like if we fall out of the first place in the wild card, like, we're still in second place. Like, no. I mean, if we fall out of first place, we're in the mix with everyone else. Like, there's – the NL wild card is still so wide open that we really – essentially need to be playing for the first wild card spot cuz yes i'm sure we obviously want a home game for the playoff or for the wild card game um for the one game playoff but i mean we have to play for that spot just because we can't afford to lose any ground because once we're relying on oh other teams need to lose a game to help us out well our schedule is like the toughest one of the toughest remaining so we can't really afford to lose any ground uh, other than whether we've already given up.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's going to be a pretty fun month just because NAPS always make things pretty interesting. You know, they have a tendency to not be able to perform in the biggest games. But what are you going to do? It's going to be fun. That's the September baseball, baby.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, another thing is basically all series we were relying on the home run ball to score runs. I mean, that's literally all where all favorite. of our runs came from in, like, the first two or three games. So it's like whatever happened to us trying to, like, play small ball, advance a runner, steal bases, all that stuff, and not trying to rely on the home run ball. All of a sudden, Rendon has an MVP season, and Soto, like, takes another step forward, and we have home run hitters we didn't think we would have, and now we just said, uh, ah, F that. We're We're going to go back to relying on the home run ball. So... Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. But we do have good hitters, so we should probably talk yeah. about them. So let's do our good, bad, and ugly segment. The good. Juan Soto the Goto. He, in his last seven, he's batting 360, 467, 760. That is an OPS of just about 1,200. That is good for those of you asking. Uh, two home runs, eight RBIs, four walks, five runs. And, most recently, he got his 100th RBI, and that made him the third youngest player ever to hit 100 RBIs in a season. It was like with Bonds and A-Rod. Did I get that right? that yeah,
2: was M- Mel Ott, and I can't remember who was second.
1: Okay, I was way off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was going it was a long time ago.
1: But, I mean, pretty damn good. I mean, he's 20 years old, 100 RBIs in a season, like... None of us listening to this pod, you and I, never doing a hundred runs or a hundred RBIs in a season. So, pretty freaking good that he's taken this big of a step forward from his uh, rookie campaign, and is putting up, I mean, pretty damn good numbers in his sophomore uh, sophomore season.
2: Yeah, I mean, the league kind of adjusted him in the beginning of the year. He started off slow, but we've seen him adjust back and just keep developing. And the fact that he's putting up numbers like this is really impressive. Um, he's having a great year and it's something we haven't really seen in baseball in a long time. It's pretty fun to watch.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, I was thinking about this the other day cause I saw the stat and I was like, damn, it's it just crazy because he's almost more underrated and, I don't. I don't want to say underappreciated because like Nats fans definitely appreciate him, especially after Bryce Harper departed in free agency. But he he and Rendon are by far the like most underrated duo in all of baseball, and it's just crazy that we have them both.
2: I mean, I don't even know what to say just because like it's just so lucky and it's yeah, also rare. Yeah, honestly. Like <laughs> They're easily the best 3-4 combination in baseball. And every single night, both of them just go out and just do the damn thing night after night after night. And they've been doing it the entire year. They've been carrying the lineup at some parts. And the fact that he can do that 20 years old is ridiculous.
1: And it almost, like, concerns me because people love Rendon. I mean, obviously, he's a fan favorite just because he's a guy. He's a dude. He's an MVP caliber talent. But, like, people love him because he doesn't care about the media or about the spotlight or about the biggest contract. He just goes out there and plays baseball. Like, that's a very admirable thing to do, and that's all Rendon wants to do. (laughs) But Soto's the exact same way. Like, he doesn't care that Acuna gets all the spotlight. Like, yeah, he'll always be compared to Acuna, but I guarantee you Acuna for the rest of their careers, even if Soto has a better career – Acuna will be, like, in people's minds, the the person with the better career just because he gets all the attention, all the the hype, all the spotlight. I mean, obviously, if he falls off, he falls off, and then Soto kind of rises above him. But Soto's having an MVP caliber season in his own right. He's hitting two ninety seven, thirty two and runs 100 ribbies, 97 runs, OPS of nine eighty two. I mean, OPS is a little lower than, like, what we've seen past MVP candidates do but in a year where we don't get like the Yelly Belly and then arguably Rendon which has been like a seasons. I mean Yellich was insane last year but prior to that recent seasons Soto is easily an MVP candidate but he's not even the best player on his team which I mean that's a good thing if his stats are that good but it's just crazy, and it also worries me because Soto replaced Bryce, but if Rendon leaves, Soto's going to replace Rendon too. The chain will always continue. Yep, it never ends. Uh, speaking of things never ending, uh, the bullpen being bad never ends. The bad. Rowanis Elias, his this is just his <laughs> his tenure while albeit brief his tenure as a nat three innings pitched nine era five hits four runs two home runs a whip of two and lefties are hitting 556 556 1222 1222
2: i mean not good not good i mean when the nats traded for him i said he was terrible just because every single number i looked at was bad and people were like Look, yeah, the
1: dude sucks. People just looked at I the mean, saves and they thought he was good, but just because you he, get saved doesn't mean you're good. He's a lefty that can't get lefties
2: out, and now his year is probably over. Which, darn, because I mean the guy was not doing any favors whatsoever. If you're a lefty and you can't get lefties out, you don't have a future in baseball. That's just kind of how it's gonna work. And the bad news is, well, I mean. I hope he turns around and that's happened for two more years, but oof, this is not a good year for them. For oh, wow.
1: I thought Elias had an expiring contract. I didn't realize he was around for two now more years. they got
2: two more years arbitration.
1: Oh, did not realize that. But, yeah, I mean, people – well, Tony Sipp got designated for assignment and Matt Grace got designated for assignment because there were lefties who couldn't get lefties out. Like, if you are a lefty – at the bare absolute minimum, you're just expected to pitch well against lefties. Even if you're absolute garbage against righties, you're expected to pitch well against lefties. That's just like how it goes. So if you're a lefty bullpen reliever who can't get out lefties and you're not especially effective against righties, you will not have a position on any team because like at the bare minimum, you're just supposed to pitch well against lefties. That's literally why you're there. And if you can't do that, I mean, you're going to get DFA, too. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, he. Ye. <laughs> I mean, but at this rate, we're going to have a whole new bullpen next year, too. So, I mean, if he's going to pitch to a 9 ERA, he gone. But gone. he's not the worst thing, or I guess he's part of the worst thing. But the ugly is this team recently. 2 and 5 against the Braves and Mets and we only averaged 4.7 runs per game. And a lot of those runs are skewed towards like the end of the game once we faced like the bad bullpens of the Mets and Braves. It's I mean it's heavily skewed. I I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I know for a fact a majority of our runs in the past week came in the 7th inning or later and they're think- a majority on home runs.
2: I think Brave Stars won like 16 straight scoreless innings against the Nats.
1: Yeah, I mean Nats like, had
2: like, no answer for them.
1: Yeah, like Nats fans will always argue, like when we when they compare the Nats to any other team. First argument, always, always, always is our rotation, right? I mean, for good reason. We, our front half of the rotation is dynamite. It's absolute. Like any team would be lucky to have our th- big three. But I mean. <laughs> With our uh, lineup, I mean, they're making very average rotations look like the best starting rotation in baseball. Like you just said, they the Braves starters went 16 scoreless against us. I mean, it's just not good enough. All season we have not been good enough against good teams.
2: Yeah, it's just a constant theme and Hopefully, things turn around into the Twins who they play next who are extremely overrated. Uh, you cannot change my mind about that. But it's just a bad trend right now. Hopefully, it's just a bad week. This wing can give a little momentum. But, I don't know. It's ugly right now, and we got a problem here.
1: Yeah, we definitely have a problem here. I mean, first and foremost, we kind of alluded to it already after the recap uh, that you gave, but the Nats lead is dwindling. Like, the The whole narrative that we were the best team in baseball since May 24th, that's over. Like it's gone. The Braves are officially the best team since May 24th, which is just irony at its finest. So now all the Braves fans are having a blast, just quoting the Nats' overused caption. But I mean, put that aside. The cushion we built up with our our like good stretch um, during the middle of the season. I mean, great stretch in the middle of the season, I mean, it's dwindling. It's gone. Like, the teams, the veteran teams, the teams that feel like they can compete, they're figuring it out. I mean, the D-backs are extremely hot, and after they sold, for all intents and purposes, at the deadline, they are still competing at a very high level. The Cubs, I mean, obviously the Cubs aren't going to go down without a fight. The Cardinals have figured it out and seem like they have a strong hold on the division. We play the Cardinals again before the season's up. I mean, the Brewers are more than capable of going on a run. I mean, it is not safe. So we can't afford to lose any ground. But the way we've been playing recently, we're going to play ourselves out of a playoff spot.
2: I mean, I'm just going through the schedule right now, trying to look at, like, all their big series wins. The sweep in Chicago is great, but, like, if you look at it, they took three four against the Pirates. They swept the Marlins. They swept the Giants. They swept the Reds. They lost two, three to the D-backs. This whole run was built on the fact that they had a whole month, month and a half of a pretty easy schedule. And, yeah, like that got them to get a lot of room and everything. But right now they're being tested and things aren't going very well. Um, Elias goes to the IL. You can argue that's for more than good than it is bad. Um, Kurt Suzuki hurt his arm again like some his offensive numbers are good but all his other metrics are bad so you can argue that Gones playing more is actually going to help the team than um uh, Suzuki playing it's just there's a lot of stuff going on right now Adam of you don't really know what's going on his health I think this was his first start in like what a week because he took a bad hit to his bone and in his knee he got hurt then back and uh Contrary to popular belief, how people think, the numbers say this team in the lineup is worse with Zimmerman in it. I will keep saying it until someone can prove me wrong because they're 20 games over 500 without them in the lineup the last two years. But then again, he's better than Matt Adams. and Matt Adams terrible. It's just this team has built itself off playing these bad teams, and now, you know, the Mets had a number all year long. That was a very, very ugly series this Brave series was really ugly. So I'm going into this month, I'm kinda of concerned, whereas June, July, August I was feeling pretty good about this team. But now as soon as they're battle tested, I'm thinking, Here we go again.
1: Right. And like we went nineteen and seven in August, which is good. Like, don't get me wrong, it's a very uh like stretch that you can like be proud of. But point being it wasn't enough just because you look at September And we're one weekend, we went two and five, and it only gets tougher from here. Like, I mean, we have a three-game set against the Marlins, but, I mean, just recently, just last week or two weeks ago, we dropped a game to the Orioles. Like, it's the games we should and need to take advantage of, we just haven't been. Granted, like, people have been hurt, and bullpen's been struggling, as as has been the case all season, but, like, we need to take advantage of the games where we have an opportunity to cushion or whatever it may be, but we just haven't been doing that. And at this rate, like I said, we're going to play ourselves out of playoffs five. And to your point. Yeah. I mean, Gomes playing more often might help. I mean, he hit two bombs today, so I guess off to a good start. Zim people will point to his rehab stats And then the three-run home run he had on a hanging curveball right down the middle, (laughs) like the other night. And, like, in a game we still ended up losing anyways. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and say that Zim's, like, he's back and he's exactly what we've been missing, blah, 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 blah. Well, one, Matt Adams has been god-awful. So it's really like pick your poison. I mean, Zim's a little bit better at first defensively, but he's a toothpick. So, I mean, again pick your poison but it's just like we have yet to see everything click and whereas teams are going through september playing their best brand of baseball it really does look like for a majority of the team their best baseball is behind them that they peaked too early and obviously we'll take playing great baseball when we can take it and when we can have it but we peaked too early and we haven't been able to sustain that and we're off to a rough start in September and schedule does not get any easier. Like uh, we're, if we, I mean, we already lost five games in the first week of September. We lost seven in all August. So, it, I mean, that, that should tell you enough right there.
2: And then there is good news in all this. Uh The Cubs who are the in second place in the wild cards? Things are going terrible for them. They lost three or four to the Brewers. Uh, Wilson Contreras hurt his hammy. Chris Bryant's been dealing with his knee injury for the month. He hasn't been the same player. Baez recently out for the year. Uh, Rizzo hurt his back. Craig Kimbrel's been on and off the IL. He hasn't been that good. Uh, Kinsler, Seishack, and Strope have been on the IL. Yu um, Darvish has been dealing with some forearm stiffness recently. Brandon Morrow's out for the year. Half a game lead in the wild card. And all that has happened since uh, Bob Nightingale said they're going to run away to the division on July 31st. So things are going for the bad for the Nats right now. But things are terrible for every NL team right now, except for the Diamondbacks, who very randomly have a 1 11. Super random. Yeah, like it makes no sense. And they have the easiest schedule remaining. But bigger picture. Every NL playoff team right now, except for the Dodgers and the Braves, is stumbling.
1: Yeah, and it, it's kind of crazy because like, the Dodgers have been, uh, and honestly we're expected to be the best team in the NL all season, but now the Braves are only like a game or two behind them for, I think it, maybe two or three games behind them for the best record in the NL. So home field advantage for the Braves is still very much in play. And, I mean, that's crazy to think about. but. I mean, so we've been talking about, like, obviously all the problems we've seen with the Nats thus far, but when it comes down to it, are we worried about the Nats? Should we make the playoffs or, I mean, in this last stretch, because obviously nothing's guaranteed yet, are we worried about them?
2: So I saw those stats, um, and, you know, I love myself some stats. If the Nationals make the playoffs, they would have the highest bullpen ERA for any playoff team in MLB history. So this bullpen that has been terrible all year long has gotten better lately. Um, People always talk about other teams' bullpens. The Nats would be the worst bullpen ERA in the history of MLB playoffs in all the other teams, in the top five, got bounced in the first round. So the Nats' Achilles heel is still very, very, very obvious. Um, I am and am not worried about the Nats because the Braves are a freight train right now. Like, the way they're playing, no one's been able to beat them. The Braves are just a great team. That happens. They shouldn't have lost the Mets series. Um, That one was pretty infuriating. The Mets really aren't that good, but for some reason, Nats can't beat them. But if they struggle against the Twins and they struggle against the Cardinals, I'm going to full-blown slam that panic button.
1: Yeah, I mean, we like a, we we talked about earlier. I mean, they still thankfully have a cushion because other teams that are in the uh, the wild card race are struggling. But I mean, we can't continue to play at the rate we've been playing in September and expect everything to be fine uh, when it like hits game one sixty two. Um, I I and mean I win
2: eleven more games.
1: Right. All they got. But I mean, we've won two so far, so <laughs> it's it, it's not not great. Uh, we're certainly at least looking like we're attempting to or to dig ourselves a hole. But uh, I, I am worried not about their chances, just about like something obviously needs to to change in fast. And the fact that more bullpen pieces are getting hurt and Suzuki's hurt, um, obviously isn't a great start. But uh, with the bullpen uh, stat you just gave, obviously a lot of the arms and people that have contributed to that terrible, terrible bullpen ERA are off the team now, and we've had or have better pieces in place. Um, but a, a lot of the other NL teams have terrible bullpens too, like Kenley Jensen in L.A. is as, like far from a sure thing anymore. The Braves' bullpen has had noted, uh, noted struggles. Cubs' bullpen, like you just mentioned, terrible. I mean, everyone has bad bullpens. So when you run into that, and obviously when you get to the playoffs, I mean, the goal, ultimate goal is to win the World Series, obviously. So it's like the rules that would apply like during the season don't apply in the playoffs. It's just, its own separate thing. So you can run your starters out there for longer than you might normally do and pitch them on short rest because, obviously, that's what you do. It's the it's the playoffs. You want to win. So I think because our bullpen's so bad, our rotation is so good, we can run our guys out there for longer and more frequently, and hopefully that will kind of uh, counteract our poor bullpen, whereas other rotations like, I mean, the Cubs rotation has been struggling. The D-backs, should they make it? their rotation is far from a sure thing. I don't even know who their ace would be right now. Maybe Robbie Ray, I don't know. And so like our rotation is certainly better than most as we've known for a while now. So, I mean, that's a nice crutch to lean on, but obviously we would like to go into the wild card game on a high note. We don't want to just like stumble and find our way into a playoff spot.
2: Um I like how everyone's always talking about how bad Kenley Jansen is, where he is having the worst year of his career, but he's a 3.78 ERA. That would be the second best ERA in the Nats Bolton.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's like, if you think of a shutdown closer, a 3.78 ERA is not exactly what you're looking for. And, and I mean, should, if Kenley Jansen had a 3.78 ERA in his walk year, he wouldn't have gotten five years, 90 million or whatever he ended up getting. No. It's not what the but Dodgers paid for.
2: How fitting will it be for when the Nats season ends at the hands of this bullpen? Because it's going to happen. That's how this team's season going to end. Whether it's in the regular season, the wild card, NLDS, it's going to be the bullpen blowing it. I can put that in Sharpie right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I, at this point, I know we we talked about the debate and like I I brought it up last episode, but I think the, the debate is for all intents and purposes settled that Max will be starting the wildcard game should his his schedule line up. Can we agree on that?
2: Yeah, it's they're gonna do it.
1: I, not that it's like what you or I would do, but it seems like that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you're gonna pitch max as long as he's effective uh so let's say he gets you through seven i mean if he gets through you gets you through seven i can see them going like hudson then Doolittle. should the game script like be uh in a situation where it calls for that like should we have a lead or something but should max only go like five i think you turn to strasburg like i i think you have to Cause I mean, who would you rely on to get you through sixth, seventh, eighth inning at that point? And Doolittle, I, I to your point, like yeah, the bullpen is probably going to be the thing that does us in. I think it's going to be Doolittle because Doolittle's in everyone's mind the only like sure thing. But his ERA is above four, like he's far from a sure thing. So it's going to be like everyone loves Doolittle. They're going to throw him out there, and Doolittle's going to get hit because he only has a fastball.
2: I got, I got nothing else to say. I mean, I agree with all that. To be honest, I mean.
1: Yeah, this has turned into like venting. <laughs> I mean, we just we know the bullpen's bad, and yeah, like we Rizzo did what he could at the deadline, but I, you just can't expect to compete at the level you want to when your bullpen is like this, and that's just yeah, and how it is. You gotta
2: win the game that you're playing. You got to do whatever it takes. And if Max gets in trouble early, full-blown balls to the wall, throw Corbin or Strauss after that because you can't really trust your goal and get multiple innings. Absolutely with it. I tweezed it out probably a month ago, and I still think it's a great idea. So great, great point. Great job.
1: Great job, bud. Um, I, I, I will say that I think... So let's talk about Davey for a second. This is kind of off script, but, I mean, let's say we get a wild card spot. Let's say we're at home. Do you think Davey's management in the wild card game would be enough to determine whether or not his job is safe? So, for instance, if if he completely blows it, makes all the wrong moves, and we weren't even close to winning the wild card game, do you think that's enough for him to get fired? Well,
2: I think that's a pretty good segment because that's actually our first question: is fair or foul?
1: Oh, you um, right? So, you right?
2: Um, I am going to pause that there for Mister Jumping the Gun there. So, for those of you who do not know, fair or foul is a monthly segment here we do on Half Street High Heat. I will ask five questions. Um, if you agree with it, you'll say fair. If you don't agree with it, you'll say foul, and then a quick little answer for why or why not. You. Agree. So, first question, as Nick already alluded to, is Davey still coaching for his
1: job? So, I guess I'll I'll answer the question I was (laughs) actually asking you in the first place. Um, In my opinion, because obviously that's all this is, I I don't have any insider information yet, yet, Um, but I, I, I do think that your management or lack thereof in a wildcard game should be enough to warrant your, your job security uh, being on the line because if like you're not coaching for the regular season, you're coaching for the playoffs and yeah, it, it's a play in game. It's not technically the playoffs, but it's still a game seven for all intents and purposes. Like you you have to treat it. Like it's winner go home because it is. So if you mess it up so much that you don't even get your give your chance a legitimate give your team a legitimate chance to win, then why shouldn't your job be on on why why shouldn't you be on the hot seat, right? Because like if you are messing up at the highest level, is like a game seven, then I mean clearly you're not cut out for when you need to manage the most. So if Davey completely messes it up, makes all the wrong decisions, starts the wrong lineup, I mean Bullpen is a crapshoot as is, but if he makes all the wrong decisions, yeah, he should take the blame because that's just the way sports are. Like the head coach gets the blame.
0: I
2: there's a thing. I think Davey as of right now is coming back next year. Um, I think the turnaround for the season the fact that, like, he seems pretty well liked in the clubhouse, I do think that is going to keep him back. Also, I don't think the learners want to deal with – if Davey gets fired, it won't be as embarrassing as it was for firing Dusty because Dusty was so well-loved and the team won 95-plus games back-to-back years. So, like, if he gets fired, this won't be understood. But I feel like the learners don't want any of that – public outrage even though Davey's not nearly as popular to the point where they're going to keep him and also if they fire Davey what good coach are you going to get here because no good coach is going to take that if they keep seeing
3: you keep firing people
2: after every single two years so I think that and I do still believe that Rizzo and Davey are intertwined that as of right now Davey still has his job obviously the learners are kind of a little nuts when it comes to coaches because. As we've seen before, uh, they make some pretty rash decisions, so who knows what can happen with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, you probably gave the right answer, because like, I, I said what they should do, but what they will do is exactly what you you brought up. Like, Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that Davey and Rizzo are most likely intertwined with their fates, and that the stretch they were on from May twenty fourth until let's call it August thirty first was the best in baseball and that probably bought Davy at least his last year of his contract because he is in contract near year next year. Um so yeah, I guess Davy will come back, but I don't think I still don't think his management is good enough to get us or it's not even good enough to elevate us. I think he's just like his management style is essentially like a plateau. I mean, if you factor in all the ups and downs, it's essentially just like, like a net neutral. So yeah, he's liked enough by the players. Like you saw Zimmerman uh, give out the witty comment that saying like, uh, oh, we should probably should have fired Davey like sarcastically. So clearly the players have his back at this point. Um, so I guess, yeah, the fact that the players like him enough and the stretch that they they were on for a few months is good enough to bring Davy back, but, I mean, just look how we play against above 500 teams. Like, I'm just going to keep bringing it up because it's such an alarming stat. Like, we beat up on the teams we were supposed to beat up on, and that's why we are where we are. Like, we're not going to win 90 games. Like, I, I just don't believe that. Granted, we only need 11 to make the playoffs, so that would put us at 89. But, I mean, we fired Dusty for better or for worse. I still think it was the right call. But for better or for worse, after two 95-win seasons. And, I mean, Davey's not even going to get there. He's not going to win a division title. And he's still sticking around because, I mean, again, it's just the players we have, not because of the manager.
2: Good point. Next question: Fair foul. Max Scherzer is hurting this team pitching through his injury.
1: If we had recorded last night, I would have said fair, but now it's like, I mean, can I just like just send it to New York for a review whether it's fair or foul? Because <laughs> I mean, yeah, to up until today, I would have told you fair absolutely. Like the fact that he is trying to pitch through his injury or trying to pitch at less than 100% while admirable is a detriment to the team. It's the same thing that we get, like, you and I get on Zim for. Like, Zim trying to play through an injury or less than 100% is just hurting the team. Like, he has to be purely 100% to provide any value and anything less than that. He's a detriment. And, like, Max Scherzer is way better than Ryan Zimmerman ever was. And he's more capable of playing through injury than Zimmerman is. But, I mean, we all know it. We've all seen Max pitch. He has a very aggressive pitching style. Like, he's very aggressive with his mechanics and his motion. And it works for him. Like, obviously, I'm not trying to, like, tinker with it or anything and saying he's doing anything wrong. But when you have an injury, especially a back injury, and your motion and your mechanics are so aggressive, it just – leaves you so vulnerable to re-injure what's been nagging you for so long at this point that it is a detriment not only to the team but to yourself because uh, a game on September 8th means nothing if you can't pitch in the postseason. So it only takes one, like, tweak, one wrong misstep to re-injure, re-aggravate that back injury, and then all of a sudden bye-bye Max. Like, he, he's done. Like, we were out without Max for, like, a month. So, if he's out another month, he's not pitching the wildcard game. And if we don't win the wild card game, then the season's over. So, I mean, that's still on the table, regardless of how great he pitched today. He looked very good today, obviously. That's what I've been qualifying this whole rant with. But I I would still caution pitching Max. I I mean, we have the expanded roster in September. Why not pitch both for a scheduled start, pitch Fetty for a scheduled start, and give Max an extra day or two of rest so that way he's fresh for the postseason. He can still pitch, but he doesn't have to make, let's call it four more starts this month. He can make two or three. That way he's lined up to where you, where you want him to be, and he's fresh.
2: I agree. Um I think he is slowly getting better because his last couple starts were his rehab starts. Um, but they're in a point where he's gotta he's gotta be his best. He's gotta be healthy. If he's not, he needs to speak up. All right, fair or foul, the Cubs are a better wild card matchup than the Diamondbacks.
1: Ooh, um, I don't know. So I I just don't know where each team stands as far as injuries are concerned. But I mean, if you have everyone healthy for both teams, I, I would say the Cubs lineup is definitely better than the Diamondbacks, at least on paper. Uh whether they've been performing to the best of their abilities or not, on paper the Cubs have the better lineup. But the Diamondbacks have some hitters. Like Catel Marte is quietly having an insanely good year. I mean he was an all star, but he is having an insanely good year. Um, the d are just a feisty team, and when a, team, a feisty team makes its way to the playoffs in a do-or-die situation, and they're just scrappy and have been playing good baseball recently, that's not exactly the team you want to face in a do-or-die do situation. Like, we saw the Cubs last year, just last year, lose game 163 to the Brewers and then lose the wild card game to the Rockies like back-to-back days. So the the juggernaut that the Cubs once were not too long ago isn't the case anymore. So honestly, I'm probably going to say fair. Like, I think the Cubs aren't what everyone believes they are in their mind. So I I think I would rather face the Cubs than the Diamondbacks.
2: I agree. Playoffs are more about who's hot at the moment than really anything else. if the Dynamax get in the playoffs, they're going to have a stupid month and they're going to be extremely hot. Uh, the Nats will kind of struggle against them all year long. Strauss won't pitch against the Cubs, but he kind of owns the Cubs, and the Cubs are a little bit on the downward trend right now, at the moment I would agree. So now we go to our fourth question, Farrah Fowl. Strauss opting out would be better for the team than him staying.
1: So I'm going to qualify this by saying Strauss is my favorite player on the team. So I will be 100% biased when answering this question, but I'll try to remain objective because I'm just a baseball journalist and that's my job. <laughs> um, but I, so if let, let's put it all on the table, Strauss will be 31 or 32 next year. You know? Give me give me five. I just seconds. looked this up and I forgot. I think he's thirty right so one right now, so he's thirty one, yeah. Okay, so we'll call it his age thirty two season next year. I don't know when his birthday is, but we'll call it age thirty two. He would have five if he opts in he's opting in for five years. Is that right? Uh yes. Okay. So he's pitching through his age thirty seven season. And I I don't know how the dollar figure, but the dollar figure doesn't really matter in this, for this conversation, because um, if Strauss opts out, it would be posturing in order to get a longer contract to kind of take him through the end of his career. Granted, the end of his career might be through the end of this contract. He might be done after age 37. There's no guarantee that you can pitch till you're 40 or whatever. But if he does opt out, it would. B, to get a longer contract. It's not because he wants to leave the Nats necessarily. Hell, he negotiated or had Boris negotiate an extension in season because he wanted to stay with the Nats. So him opting out would have nothing to do with the Nats. It, it has to do with him wanting a longer contract. So from the Nats' I, perspective – oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: I was going to say I agree. Um, he is slated to make twenty-five, fifteen, fifteen, and forty-five million up to his free agency. If he continues to opt in, um, my sources tell me that him opting out to leave elsewhere is extremely unlikely. Um, mm-hmm. Those are actual sources. But if he opted out, and you have an extra twenty-five million laying around after you free eighteen million for him. Uh, $18 million for Zim, $9 million for Dozier, $5 million for Adams, and possibly if Redone doesn't resign, that's another $20 Rosenthal million.
1: Rosenthal, too. I don't know if you mentioned that.
2: Oh, yeah. And Rosenthal is $9 million. Hello, Garrett Cole. Hello, whoever the hell you want. Yeah. that's a lot of freaking money you just saved up. And it's like, Garrett Cole's going to cost an arm and a leg, but would you rather have a younger, better version of pre-injury Strasberg or Steven Strasberg, who, by the way, I love, I do want to say that, but with his injury history, him getting older is a little concerning. So it's like Garrett Cole, which wouldn't happen, but Garrett Cole on this team and a couple other people, or Strauss and still having a lot of money. That's where I'm like, "Mm, if he opts out, it's not the worst thing we love.
1: Right, and that's exactly what I was going to get to because – if you, if Strauss opts out and you decide to take the opportunity and just free yourself of that long commitment with all that money, I mean, fine, all the power to you, but you best replace that production or at least try to replace that production in your rotation. Right. Oh, yeah. Cause they, Max is only going to pitch for maybe two more, two or three more years at like a solid level before he really declines so you can't count on him for much longer at least at the rate you're counting on him now and yes you have Corbin but what do you have behind Corbin you only have Sanchez for one more year and Ross, Fetty, Voth, Helixson they haven't been able to stay in the rotation
2: yeah if if Strauss opts out and they don't sign Garrett Cole the entire thing's a huge waste this is a massive hypothetical but if he opts out and they get Garrett Cole. I see that as an absolute win, but oh, I highly doubt. Oh, for sure. He but
1: I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he will either. Um, but it, it, it's fun to like play the hypothetical game. Uh, but Garrett Cole would cost you a lot. Like, I I oh, think Strauss has like ton of money. five years, a hundred and. Fifty million left, or something like that. Maybe a little bit less. Garrett Cole is going to cost you like seven years, like two hundred and forty. Like he's certainly going to cost you more than than uh, uh than Corbin did. I mean, he's younger. He's, I mean, I think Verlander wins the Cy Young. But if Cole pulls out the Cy Young, that's only going to drive the price up. Um, oh
2: yeah. and like you you, really you brought up a great
1: point. Fact on track. You, Exactly. You brought up a great point that Astros as gets older. I mean, the granted, the the major arm surgeries in the past, but it doesn't exactly get better as you get older. So the fact that he's made 29 starts to this point this year, he's pitched one hundred five 185 innings, that's great, but we can't expect that to be the norm going forward. It hasn't been in this whole career. So... I mean, yes, if he opts out and the Nats want to make the business move to go after Cole as opposed to Strasburg, I mean, damn that that that's that's a hell of a, a business move. But it just doesn't seem like one the Nats would make. I mean, Strasburg's homegrown; he's really I, I, aside from him, he might be the longest tenured Nat at this point. So mm-hmm. uh, I I just don't see it necessarily especially if Rendon's gone I, I they're not gonna like uh, like let go or fail to re-sign Rendon and Strasburg if Strauss does opt out so it it's fun to play a hypothetical game but I think it's Strasburg and I, I don't think it's a question because I think he opts in and then this whole thing is put to bed
2: Great, and then our last quick question in fair foul is fair foul. This season will be a success even if the Nationals miss the playoffs.
1: This one's easy. It's foul. It's 100% foul. I mean, I agree. Can you? Can any of you listening honestly say that at the beginning of the year, if we miss the playoffs, it was still a success? Can you honestly say that? And yeah. like, yeah, I can. I can see the spin zone where we got off to such a bad start like salvaging the season you could kind of view that as a success but i mean that's just crap like it's playoffs or bust it's world series or bust. like as it's been with this team in the past how many times have we heard the world series or bust narrative like i mean more than once i can tell you that and obviously we haven't even made it past the first run of the playoffs we haven't even been in the playoffs recently so i mean 2017 but like what was 2017 nothing I mean, last year sucked. This year, I mean, unless we go on a playoff run, this year has sucked too. Even if we win the wildcard game, it still sucked. It's It hasn't been the season we envisioned or we wanted. So, I mean, if it's if we make the playoffs, win the wildcard game, and it still isn't a success, then why would it be a success if we miss the playoffs?
2: Hard-hitting questions here on Half Street, Yeah, Hard-hitting I mean, questions.
1: Uh, we hit harder than uh, Zim does. Ooh. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh,
2: but we do have a fun segment here for everyone on Half Street High Heat. You are organizing a dinner party. This is your all-time dream dinner party of Washington Nationals. You can include, it's three people. You include coaches, GMs, base coaches. Um, players, anyone, everyone who's ever been associated with the Washington Nationals franchise from 2005 to now, your three people who would be your dream dinner party. Go.
1: Oh, God. I mean, this is tough because it's literally anyone who's ever been affiliated with the team. Um, the See, like, obviously, you your mind jumps to the stars. So, like, I would love to say, like, Max. But I think I would be more interested in talking to Strauss. Like, yes, he's my favorite player. But I think the the story is there, like, is more intriguing, at least to me with Strauss. Like, he was such a highly touted draft pick or prospect, number one pick in the draft, makes his debut a couple starts later. I mean, Tommy John. And he's done. And then he has to deal with coming back and still living up to the hype. And, still dealing with injuries that have prevented him. And then the whole 2017 flu game fiasco, the different coaches, all this stuff, like I would be very much interested in getting into the mind of Steven Strasberg and all he's been through. Like, yes, I would obviously love talk to, to talk to Max, but Max has been a beast. Max is a psychopath. He's so freaking good that it's like I, I want to – not that I've had ever had any major arm injuries, but I want to be able to, like, re- relate to Strasburg and all he's been through and all that stuff. So I'm going Stras as, like, my big-name guy. I would love to talk to Mike Rizzo. I think that's that has to be a staple, not only to just, like, ask him my first question, how dare you, um, but to just ask him, like, how it's been, just dealing with the learners and dealing with all these expectations of Steven Strasser, Bryce Harper, Max Scherzer, all that stuff. Like, I mean, it can't be easy. It was like a year or two ago where that article came out saying Rizzo has the hardest GM job in all of baseball just because of what he deals with, with the learners, whether that's true or not, obviously it's a subjective claim, but I mean, all <laughs> All signs point to it being true, or at least he's had one of the hardest times in all of any GM. Um, so obviously, I would love to talk to Mike Rizzo and see what's going through his mind. Um, but the third is kind of like up there because I I I would just want someone who like knows the game, or at least has like cool stories and all that stuff. So I have a couple guys I'm debating on. So Ryan, I'll let you give your your first two while I, while I'm still deciding.
2: All right. So you know I'm thinking, who do I want to actually sit down and dinner with? I'm like, I could go the classy route, you know, really enrich myself or learn, but I'm going to change. I'm going to stay true to my brand. And the first guy that I'm picking is when you look him up on YouTube, the top results are fight. Throws glove, charges mound, throws ball <laughs> at fan. That's right. It is the man himself, the legend, Tony Plush. If you don't know the legend of Tony Plush, please look it up. It is Niger freaking Morgan. That's a goat. great pick. Um, he is one of the most interesting and fascinating people ever. The man thought he robbed a home run, slammed his glove down the floor, uh, ground. He charged the mound and lost badly against the Marlins and got up and acted like he won. That's called grit. The dude threw a ball at a fan because he was so mad at him. Um, he dropped several F-bombs when he hit a walk-off against, in the Brewers. The man's an absolute legend. Like Just being able to talk to him would be so much fun. And while I'm on this train of just angry people, it's like, you know, who else is really, really hated? The crotch grabbing man himself, the choke <laughs> artist, Jonathan freaking Pavlovon, has to be there. I have so many questions for him because the dude's an idol. Um, he embraced the city of Boston. He booed him. He loved it. Um, he went to freaking Philly, grabbed his crotch as a fan. The dude's an all-time goat. Um, was absolutely terrible here. Probably derailed his entire season. But for that. Having him and Nigel Morgan at the same dinner table would be remarkable.
1: I I, I don't even know who you would pick to be your third guest. Like maybe like the media (laughs) because like all the the stuff that would come up at at that dinner conversation. But geez, so we have two very different dinners. (laughs) Uh, um, You're eating steak. I mean, freaking Taco Bell yeah (laughs) but like on the curb in the parking lot just like (laughs) and just talking crap and anything that comes out it was closed (laughs) (laughs) no it's like you get something from taco bell but then you're like pavlov's like i want a damn frosty you go to wendy's and like you get fries from mcdonald's you just like make four different pit stops on dinner (laughs) oh man um so yeah, I don't, I don't know, cause yeah, obviously we're taking two different paths to dinner here, but I, I said why I wanted to talk to uh, the first two, but the third I would just probably someone who's like fun and outgoing and just can like liven up the conversation. But then again, it's the gnats, and they don't have many of those in their history. Um, so I would probably want to talk to. Oh, man, this is tough. This is tough. I don't like this, but I think I'm gonna go with I Hate to do it, but I think I would honestly like to talk to Jason worth and Ooh, Okay, I, I Will soul like forever for the rest of my life argue that the worth contract sucked and he was not the reason the culture shifted with the Nats the culture shifted because of even Strasser and Bryce Harbor being as highly touted as they were because of Max Scherzer, um, even because of like Jordan Zimmerman, like those guys performing well were had much more of an impact on the the narrative shifting than Jason Wirth did. I mean, Wirth definitely played a part, but he wasn't the end all be all um, for that. But I think it's because I had that thought that I would want to talk to worth. Like it's almost uh, like, I'm not going to call him my enemy. I think I, I hate the fans thinking he's this hall of fame, hall of famer, hall of fame talent that that makes me more angry than Jason worth as a person or player does. But I would like to talk to him just to see, just to get a different perspective from my own, because I'm so set in that mindset Uh, that I have about Worth because of Nats fans and because of my personal view on the contract and the detriment and Dusty playing him when he was clearly done, um, that I would want to talk to Worth just to see if I can almost be enlightened and get a different perspective from my own.
2: So, I think it's a pretty classy dinner. Uh, I feel like that's also pretty common for a lot of Nats fans. I'm sitting here trying to think of who I want for my third person to go along with Nigel Morgan, Jonathan Pabobon. And I was like, know <laughs> I could go Bryce Harper from a famous Frank Robinson. Also, in entertainment value. Um, I was like, I can go Scott Olsen, the man who wasn't here very long. But on his Wikipedia Scott page. Scott <laughs> On his Wikipedia page. Uh, the section called Suspensions, Confrontations, and Legal Trouble is about half a page long, and his playing career is about three paragraphs, um, and I, I'm just sitting here reading this, and the guy's absolute psychotic, um, but that would legit scare me. I don't think I could sit there so long cause that dude has some serious issues. So from pure annoyance, and I think it would be so funny, S. See Sant'Angelo, no. come on down with all your stupid cliches. Come down to my dinner party because I need to figure out why are you the way that you are. And I want to be able to ask, no. how does it feel that you took steroids and got worse? And when you came out and said you're on steroids, everyone was surprised because you were so bad. I no. need to ask that. And I think it would geek so no.
1: much. He- Of course, I just gave this, like, very mature reasoning for why I would (laughs) want to talk to Worth, and then you bring up freaking F.P. Santangelo, and I just have to immediately say no that I would never want to have dinner with, talk to, meet F.P. Santangelo in my life because I cannot stand him. He is a terrible announcer I mean, there's literally no part of me that wants to ever meet that, like, just joke of a baseball player, broadcaster, whatever. (laughs) Can't stand him.
2: I mean, I could have gone the fan in me, but I got to stay on brand, and those are my three. And if you guys are listening, who would your three dream dinner guests be, and whose dinner would you rather attend? We all know you're going to vote my dinner. (laughs)
1: i I would have respected you more if you had said your third person was jason worth's beard (laughs) (laughs) the person hated me speaking of (laughs) hating
3: that's a
2: great segment for uh we have no twitter questions this week we were uh a little caught up with football so we forgot to ask everyone for your twitter questions we will have them Well, I asked,
1: just no no one had any questions because clearly uh, we're doing such a good job that uh, nobody has any questions.
2: We could just know. Gone (laughs) with it instead of just being embarrassed like that. But, hey, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So our new segment, Who's Mad of the Week? As explained last week, is going to be my favorite response to any of my tweets that people got mad or anyone I see online who's way too mad online. And this winner is... DC for hope to my good morning tweet the other day saying the Nationals were better without Ryan Zimmerman. Um, She said the Nats would have had zero runs last night without Zim, referencing his three run home run and their four, three loss. This take is crap. Be quiet. That is what we call mad online. And for that, we thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, did, did Zim win us that game? Did we win? Did I miss something? Uh, No, he kept it from Did a meaningless home run win us anything?
2: Uh, It won us the 2012. (laughs) Oh (laughs) yes.
1: Oh man, I mean, yeah, that is the definition of mad and the perfect tweet to start off this what is inevitably going to be a beautiful, beautiful segment and uh, one that'll bring us lots of joy. But from Ryan and myself and Amanda, uh, vicariously, uh, we thank you for listening and uh, be sure to follow the pod on Twitter at Half Straight High Heat. Follow Ryan and myself for uh, all the Who's Mad of the Week drama at DC Natchak and follow Amanda at A White Seven Eight Seven Seven. And we will be ne- back next week. And hopefully the Nets do better than uh, they did last the week. But we will see. So see you later.
3: It's an embryo, really though It's the city where the people hold the power And you can see nine dimes every half an hour Well Lunch and Joe is the lingo And brothers raw So ain't nobody rocking me coats Take you back to the madness house, Ohio So Lace up your Nike boots Is, is we the truth and check the air yeah? cause if you check the know somebody better check the air or check the water cause it's something in we can't afford to be bush it's only one in the district we ain't going